Welcome to the Sacred Body Podcast, where we investigate trauma resolution, healing, sex, and intimacy, and motherhood, all through the lens of the sacred and wise nature of the body. This season, we're focusing a little bit more on inherited trauma and how our inherited history has impacted our individual paths to wholeness. So if you're here, you're on a journey, and I welcome you every part of you to the conversation. Today, I'm so thrilled to introduce Samantha Zipporah. And for many of you, this is likely not your first introduction, but the fact that I get to share her voice on this platform is truly exciting to me. Samantha has had a profound influence on the work that I do in the world, most notably in the areas of conception and aftercare following miscarriage and abortion. Samantha is an activist, a fertility, sex, and cycle educator, and an author, and as you will hear, She is an incredibly unique voice in this field and someone that I respect and admire immensely. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. I know I did. And you can find details on how to find out more about Samantha and her incredibly generous work in the show notes. Hey, welcome everybody to the Sacred Body Podcast and what an and sort of achievement, if I may say, it feels like to have Samantha Zapora here. Um, Samantha has really informed a lot of my work and maybe indirectly your, your miscarriage and abortion course was something mm. I did for myself mm. after I completed my postpartum care training with Rochelle, who was a mutual <laughs> friend and contact of ours. Um, It just so happened that that's who ended up coming to me for care is when I experienced loss and abortion. So um, I I got really into you, (laughs) if they say, and feel like this, um, it's sort of like a full circle moment. So I'm so grateful to have you here. And Mm excited for you to share all the new creations you have with the people listening. Mm, Yeah. Thanks for this opportunity to share. And I'm so grateful to Rochelle. I I don't even remember how we first connected, but she was one of the first people in the field who started wholesale ordering my miscarriage and abortion books back when they were just, you know, hand stapled. Yeah. White little, little punk rock zines, essentially. Oh, that's Um, awesome. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's something that is a through line for a lot of the people who have been on the podcast too, is just this sort of like, what feels like an underground web of women Mm. (laughs) really important work that uh, is not like really it's not quite here to say it's mainstream like really gaining some momentum and I love 
noticing how there are all these points of connection that just strengthen that web and this conversation between us is one of those I actually Yay. yeah I was gifted at least one of your zines by Corinne Lolito I hosted ah! her on one of her road trips cool yeah like what a cool what a cool interconnected world this is oh uh, yes and the way that you share information um, is really mm. powerful. I think mm. it's very it's very authentic to you, but it's very unique. And what I appreciate so much, I'm just going to dive right into your latest creation, Please Bleed. And I'll, I'll let you talk more about like the specifics of it, but how very clearly right up front, it's like, I am not in charge of you. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm not in charge of you. I mean, in, in maybe some different wording, but would you just like go from there? What, what that is? Mm, yeah, it's, um, the, the concept within anarchism <laughs> of mutual aid is really central to the spirit in which I share information with people and care with people as well. And the making sure that I'm exercising power with instead of power over yeah. is just so important to me. Um, really resourcing people to be making decisions that are rooted in their own bodies and their own personal truths and you know, constantly doing what I feel capable of to climb down off of any pedestal that people might want to keep putting me on as a teacher or instructor. Um, yeah, so that's, that's where that comes from is really wanting to inspire people to, to have authentic sovereignty and not to, to act as an authority for anybody. I understand that I'm a, a conduit and that I can be a source of light and information and inspiration, but I, I never want to be a source of external authority. I always want to be doing work that helps people claim their internal authority. One of the things that I've noticed in, in your work and others is one way that that is accomplished is honoring our teachers, honoring yes. who have shared information with us. And you do such a beautiful job of that, including mm. like sharing your own very personal experience with some of these practices and these herbs and these plants. And um, I know that you have been in this reproductive health and justice realm for a very long time, but I would love for you to share some of the specifics about how you move from, you know, what I think is fair to call like more of a clinical setting to something very holistic and anarchist and radical. <laughs> Sure. Um, I mean, I absolutely started my studies before I began bleeding. Okay. And um, it, it's very much an ancestral uh, soul calling for me to be doing the work that I'm doing in the world. And I became very curious about it um, prior to menstruating when I saw the suffering of my older sister and my mother 
uh, which I wasn't aware of at that point, extended to my aunties and my grandmothers and my female cousins. Um, so I really started studying really young. I was very excited and interested in reproductive and sexual health um, and sexuality in general. Like I was always an extremely sexual being <laughs> since I can remember. Yeah. Um, and I always tell a story of like my first doula job being helping someone put a tampon in. I love that story. When I was 11 years old. And then I ended up um, volunteering with Planned Parenthood as a young teen because of a debate class that I was in, like an advanced debate class. And there was a youth lobby organization um, event where Planned Parenthood had a table and I signed up to volunteer. I ended up lobbying with legislature at the Idaho State Capitol on the parental consent bill. So I'm in junior high school and I'm talking, I like flagging down these white old Republican dudes at the Idaho Capitol building, telling them that uh, I can menstruate and I can get pregnant and therefore I deserve access to an abortion. <laughs> and they're like, does your mom know that you're here? This like that's the point. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I, I spent many years actually um, doing peer education and peer counseling within Planned Parenthood and, um, you know, having my locker full of condoms and STI pamphlets. And uh, it was in college, I had an internship at Planned Parenthood at the same time that I was nannying for a two-year-old um, for a mama who was pregnant mm -hmm. and planning a home water birth. Cool. Um, and then at the same time, one of my best friends became pregnant and was the first friend who wanted to keep a baby and be a mom. And so in supporting the woman's family that I was nannying, I was, I was witnessing this home birth midwifery model of care at the same time that I was having weekly phone calls with my girlfriend who was in another state who was pregnant. And I started looking at fertility and pregnancy as something that could potentially be really beautiful and natural mm -hmm. and healthy and normal. And I realized what an insane polarity and dichotomy that was from the indoctrination that I had experienced as a volunteer and then as an employee of Planned Parenthood where I feel like fertility was treated like a disease that needed to be cured with pills or surgery or managed by a medical system that was very much full of that external authority of like, well, I actually like the institution and the bureaucracy knows better than the individual. And we must use these tools, these pharmaceutical tools, these inanimate objects of IUDs to, to be able to control and cure people of the burden of their fertility. And so with no sense of the long-term consequences of that. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. So yeah, the home birth midwife, in the family that I was nannying for, gave me a bunch of great books to start studying. Um, mm. That was when I really started learning more about nutrition and herbalism. And I was 
just deeply passionate that I would be a midwife, a home birth midwife, and that that was my gig. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I studied midwifery with Elizabeth Davis. And um, (laughs) I'll pause there, but basically like I, I knew even at that young age, right? I was 21 when I took the intensive with, with Elizabeth. Um, I knew I could not handle the paperwork and the modern day witch hunts yeah, and the liability insurance. And very, very specifically, I could not handle the power over versus power with model that I know some fabulous home birth midwives that are certified and licensed are able to gracefully circumvent and dance with in, in a very you know, fluid and agile way. But the way that the system is set up in order to be credentialed, in order to follow protocols, in order to actually adhere to the standards of licensure uh, in this culture, it was not possible for me to move into being a practicing midwife. Yeah, um, and uh, maintain the ethics that I that I've clung to now for all these years, where I'm like, I I'm not going to tell you what to do. Well, and that's such a huge, it's such a huge topic. I'm preparing for my second home birth, and you know, mm. there are very limited midwife midwife choices where I live. And long story short, um, my own journey with birth work was like this immediate deep driving desire to become a midwife. And then mm-hmm. I started meeting with couples and I was like, no, I have to be a sex therapist because <laughs> it's like yes. primary yes. care that is yes. not being shared with people. Yes. You know, as, as the years press on and my own experience of soliciting care providers, mm-hmm. Um, I completely hear you. And there's something very raw and intense about just knowing like somewhere in the back of your mind, like, but your license ultimately means more than I do. <laughs> or there is that. And, and one of my teachers, Marin Green from Indie Birth talks about right. this a lot. Like if you're mm-hmm. going to be licensed, but you're willing to make concessions and just like not write stuff down, then why do you have this fucking license? Right. Perpetuate that model. Right. It's tricky. I mean, maybe it's not tricky, but it's like, it's a very rich conversation. (laughs) It is, it is. Right. And so then I moved into doula work, which I remember Elizabeth was like very upset. She was like, you're a midwife. Why are you being a doula? This is bullshit basically like she used the word bullshit too she was like this is bullshit Sam what are you doing yeah (laughs) I was like I I am I'm not gonna hold this level so I ended up you know spending the next decade of my life on call for hospital birth Mm -hmm. in Portland Oregon Mm -hmm. um which I'm still I feel like recovering from (laughs) in a lot of ways in terms of really reclaiming the authentic fullness of what I am able to offer individuals in counsel or care education because the professional protocols of being a birth doula require like serious fragmenting mm. Of, mm. of self I, in, in the, the standards of professionalism that are upheld in the institutions and the bureaucracies. So there's a lot there. Uh, but yeah, I've been, I've been doing, I've been, I've been caring a lot 
I've been studying a lot and I've been supporting people um, for about 20 years, a little over 20 years now on these, on these topics. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying my thirties <laughs> in, in terms of <laughs> compromising less, yeah. right? Like being drawn less to the structures that exist, right? I feel like I was even drawn to birth, um, you know, because it was like, even though birth is still this intense void of empowerment and care that it had the most uh, social currency and the most support structure for the kind of embodiment and power that I wanted to support people with. Um, mm. And then it took me years to even realize that like, wait, no birth is like part of this whole, it's not, I can't, I'm not going to define my career or my identity as a, as a birth worker or a birth support person. And like birth's kind of late in the game <laughs> to yeah. start having these conversations. Like we need to start with ovulation. <laughs> but I'm curious. So one of my passions is pre-birth and birth psychology. And yeah. I'm curious what, you know, your experience or interest is in that and what you know about your own experience of being born. And oh, if yeah. filtered in or, you know, upon reflection, I mean, here yeah. you are obviously as a 10, 11 year old, like recognizing uh -huh. off and I need to tend to this. Like clearly that yeah. was the imprint. Yeah. Um, I was blessed with, from what I am told or what I can sense, um, the actual, like the physical experience of my birth. And I'm like literally rooting into my, my hips as I speak of this, because you know, there's, there's beauty and there's clarity and there's also a trauma that wants to be acknowledged here. Um, but my, my mom was able to labor at home with her dear friend whose sister was a midwife um, up to eight centimeters. Wow. Yeah. And went to the hospital. I, from what I remember, that I don't think they even slept. She didn't sleep at the hospital. Um, they went to the hospital for my delivery and relaxed for a while and came home. Wow. Right. So she was really well supported with me. Um, and I was, I'm the second child. Um, she had a much more traumatic, painful birth. Um, I believe with the straps and with morphine and a lot more confusion and feeling alone with my older sister. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was also born with a chlamydia infection in my eyes, which alerted my mother to that my father had been unfaithful. And so that specific aspect of my birthing and infancy experience is something that I'm still navigating right and literally the way we see the world the way we see the masculine and the the ability to trust um in that way um but yeah as far as i think i felt physically safe through the labor and delivery and integris in a way that i i know a lot of babies don't yeah and then the social dynamic of the family afterwards was definitely super traumatic totally 
yeah um, the, to reflect on like the unfortunate illusion for your mom of you know getting to be pregnant with you with the sense of security right impresses a lot upon you and then mm-hmm. sort of like shock experience right after yeah and just my role as a disruptive truth teller um, I feel is a thread that has carried through that wow. into many many relationships and social dynamics in my life and it's like I can't help it I'm like I'm not here because I'm maliciously or angrily wanting to tell you this truth but I can't help but be the bearer of this very uncomfortable news yeah Yeah. into this relationship I'm like here is this thing it's this is here's an illness that needs to be looked at I'm not willing or able to look away we have to deal with this thank you so much for sharing that yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking. I'm yeah. Mostly Michelle O'Donnell's work is, is what I've read and explored in terms of the, the perinatal psychology and yeah, it's super powerful. It's and, a, uh, an unbelievably rich realm. And what I love mm-hmm. about it is that there is, there is science. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. So like, no babies can sense at like 18 days, <laughs> like this, the senses are activated and that's mm. what's shaping our nervous system. And mm-hmm. there's also the mystery of it. And I think tapping into that field really, for me at least, has given, has given some authority to what I sense in my body. Mm authority to what you know how I experience the world it's like oh I'm not just making it up and then it's not you know like all of this it's not a story that you want to get locked into but there's some sense of like oh these were the preliminary pieces that I was Mm -hmm. and learned how to navigate the world with this truth and that truth and this truth and that truth and now we go on and we develop further Mm -hmm. you know more tools we get a broader perspective and um yeah I mean even this like sense of confidence I imagine not that you know my sense of you is not that you need too much extra but be like here I am this truth teller like this is literally my body moving through the world is a beacon of truth yeah (laughs) that's fucking awesome Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, there's, there's a lot there. (laughs) Thanks for seeing me. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much that I want to talk about. I want to talk about all these different things, but I do want to ask before we move on to like more of your writing and courses and things of that nature, this journey with your own fertility, how bearing witness to the struggles and the difficulties and helping a friend, like, how does that inform you and or shape your experience of starting to bleed? Ooh, um, can you restate that a little bit? <laughs> a little more concise. Yeah, yeah. Which part of my journey are you asking about? My, my beginning to bleed, my yeah. supporting my pregnant friend or? When you yeah. started to bleed. Yeah. Curious how like having been exposed to 
information and mm-hmm. you know how that impacted you in your experience of coming into this moving through that rite of passage yeah um well, I got my I started to bleed at the movie theater watching the matrix awesome <laughs> my uterus was just like, all right <laughs> this is the portal we're going to walk through um again with this like weird meta analysis of like none of this belief system or this culture that we like that we're living in is real like there's something else um I was really excited about bleeding um and didn't realize or really start to grieve how my mother and older sister who were the only people that lived in my home with me were not excited about me bleeding uh, or supportive of it until really just this year I went through a big grief portal with it Um, and the flip side of that is that my father actually gave me a really beautiful card and took me to the co-op to buy herbs to make tea and was like maybe a little hyper vigilantly upset, but like mostly extremely loving and supportive. And I got the impression that the men in our lives ought to be involved in supporting and witnessing us. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I really loved it. I was really excited when I began to bleed and I was, um, I was really intellectually turned on which is really kind of a thread through my, my whole story evolving in many of the rites of passages and the traumas that I have been through is that I'm somebody who will analyze and intellectualize a situation and be fascinated by it very intensely and read and study to the extent of like controlling or dissociating the felt experience. And I don't think I really started to feel, you know, what it was to bleed in a good way until I started to track my ovulation also. Um, and was able to, this, this counterpoint, right? There's like, there's this bleeding that's a specific energetic and physical reality. And I feel like it, I wasn't whole until I started to really witness and experience in a intentional way ovulation so again I don't I don't know if that's a real answer to your question it's a little bit of story I'll take another pause and see what threads you want to pick up well I do I definitely want to pick up on the acknowledgement of ovulation which I feel like is still very much um, elusive for most Mm. Mm -hmm. and that includes me Mm. I've had a, I've never had a felt sense of ovulation in my body and my, my bleed has been very consistent after lots of, you know, self-imposed interruptions in the form of birth control and, and other Mm. things, but, um, only, so the year that I had a miscarriage, that was my first pregnancy. And I never, you know, I was a dancer and interested in somatic experiencing and considered myself very in tune with my body, but could honestly say like, I've never felt my uterus. Like, I don't know Mm. where my ovaries are. 
-hmm. in terms of sensation. Mm -hmm. That's not real to me. Um, And there's a whole other layer to that with like Mm. imprints from birth, I think. But Mm. with my experience following miscarriage, which included some information from you, information Mm. from Michelle, studying Mm. Ayurveda for women's reproductive health intensively, Mm. and the somatic sex educator training. And it was like one day during training, not even guided specifically into my pelvis, just to be in my body. I was like, oh my God, there they are. There's my uterus. There are my ovaries. Like they're so crystal clear. Mm-hmm. Changed from that singular experience. Mm-hmm. When I was like 36, 35. Mm-hmm. And I firmly believe like incredible, better late than never. But like, I would just love, you know, let's, let's talk mm. about the <laughs> mm. This is such a, an elusive thing. Yeah. Maybe like not an interesting thing. I almost feel like it's something people aren't interested in. Well, I feel like we, we spend so much energy fearing our fertility. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I believe that the stat from the Guttmacher Institute is like 60% of us will suppress it completely at some point. Well, with, you know, synthetic hormones. Um, So yeah, the celebration of ovulation, right? Being this counterpoint. Oh my goodness. Mm. It's so important. (laughs) Right. And then the like hippie goddess culture that I've been, uh, you know, involved in at various points or adjacent to, mm-hmm. or, uh, miss stereotyped <laughs> <laughs> to be part of, um, there's, you know, there's the red tent movement. There's the moon lodge. There's like, Oh, our blood is sacred. I'm like, what about your fertility? Like, what about your ovulation? And that, that it really has a both energetic and physiologic, benefit and value that is not just about making babies that it is about being a a functional and vital and whole part of an endocrine system that our ovaries would like to have a conversation with our brain every month and that that conversation is going to be influencing our metabolism, our digestion, our skin, our mood, our serotonin levels, all of these different aspects that are affected by our hormones and endocrine system functioning do not function without ovulation. And that's just on a physiologic biochemical level. But then when we look at a greater lens where we're looking at our cycles as a microcosm of the macrocosm of creation, we're talking about the energetics of the full moon. We're talking about the energetics of spring equinox to the summer solstice as the fertile window. Um, And we're talking about the most yang pinnacle, if we're using a yin yang Mm -hmm. um, analogy. And just like, there's so many different analogies we can use from archetypes and mythology or nature as a whole, where we need to have this dynamic balance for a cycle to be generative. 
there must be dynamic balance. And it's that tension between the dynamic balance that makes all creative power possible. Yeah. Yeah. As I'm listening to you speak, I, you know, the, every bleed in my, I sort of have made this my own association with it. And I'd love to hear you talk about this too. Like every bleed to me is ripe for like a grief ceremony, shedding, releasing, and the closure of a window of possibility. And Mm -hmm. ovulation is that necessary counterpoint. And without that, it is just sort of like this grief of being in a body that bleeds. Absolutely. And I would say the, the book Wild Power is my favorite distillation of this. I read Wild Power after I had already been cycling for 20 years with intention and consciousness and gathering from so many different philosophies. And I like Wild Power was the most relaxing, affirmative thing for me to read in terms of this. Like, I was like, oh, I don't have to write this book. Nice. <laughs> the yeah. book already exists. I could just refer people to this book. Um, but yeah, they talk about ovulation as the pinnacle of our ego's manifestation and the menstrual cycle as a a tool of our soul's evolution and so with each ovulation we come into the power of manifesting and identifying and embodying what our ego's identity and purpose would desire and then as we move into the premenstrual phase, which they call the negative via, moving into premenstruation, we're tearing down and deconstructing all of these aspects of attachment and ego identity so that we can renew ourselves when we get to the precipice of menstruation. We merge with universal consciousness. No big deal. <laughs> So that we can renew it. And then, you know, as soon as we start bleeding, we move into the follicular phase, which is the positive via and back towards ovulation. And hopefully if you're doing the dang thing right, you've refined your purpose through that process of disillusion and deconstruction. And what remains as you move into ovulation again is more pure and more true each cycle. I feel this way anyway, but especially as you're talking in this Mm -hmm. language in particular, Mm -hmm. both pregnancy, well, I've been pregnant three times, the pregnancies that went to full term, um, and I'm nearly there with this second, I've really missed my period, Mm -hmm. really felt like, you know, obviously Mm. being pregnant, Mm -hmm. this, and like, I again, especially hearing these words, um, it's so potent and who knows how many years I have left of it after this pregnancy and Mm. able to connect with a renewed level of consciousness and gratitude for what that cycle is. And, um, yeah, I'm now I'm like, I'm going to start a wild power book club. This is totally, I mean, they have all schools called the red school, mm. and, you know, Alexander Pope coined the term menstruality. Yes. Which, yeah. Yep. It's cool. I'm, I'm always a little, um, so I have no credentials. 
<laughs> and it's always a little strange and it happens pretty regularly where people are like are you did you do that training or do you have that certification of this particular modality or philosophy where i'm just like yeah no but that is that's that is what i do <laughs> um i think i feel that way like I don't know, I would consider the Red School, what they have going on feels like super resident and on point with what I offer as far as cycle awareness and celebration. I mean, that may be a whole other topic, but yeah. worth sort of acknowledging this fixation on like, how can you prove to me what you know? Oh my God, yes. The, the mm -hmm. impatience or or, you know, rapidly decreasing ability we have to sit with someone and tune in, like, I yeah. trust you. Yep. I trust what you know, because it lands in my body. Well, yeah. How can you trust anybody else if you don't trust your body? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, none of my birth doula clients ever asked me if I was certified, but I used to go to, you know, birth doula networking events and uh, you know, the birth support network in Portland. And like the only people that ever asked what my trainings or credentials were, were colleagues. <laughs> I just remember like being really oblivious that there were some for placenta medicine making in particular. And I learned that from a dear elder mentor of mine who is a curandera, who's, you know, half Mexican, half Native American and studied with the midwives in Mexico and like she taught me Roboso and she taught me placenta encapsulation and like I would have never thought to seek out a, a certification or a training because I learned from an elder who was somebody that I was deeply emotionally and spiritually supported by and then being challenged by colleagues who were like well are you legitimate right because you don't have a piece of paper that says that you know how to do what you do. And um, yeah, credentialing is a, it's a big deal. Um, and it, I mean, it speaks so much to the like midwife obstetrician battle. Of, like, well, speaks, the power know. over versus power with yes. problem. It's yeah. like, I mean, I, I literally was having a conversation at a potluck with a woman years ago who was like, oh, you're a doula, that's amazing. My friend's having a baby, but I have never taken a doula certification. And I don't know if I can afford to, or if I have time to do a doula training, but I'd love to help my friend have a baby. This woman had two children of her own. I was like, you don't need to be trained to be with your friend giving birth. And that, I mean, it speaks to just this immense uh, I, I so much grief that I have around the commodification and specialization of the entire set of skills and knowledge that I have. And I, I do, I grok, I understand that I, I am a unique snowflake and I, I have a unique path and set of skills, but there's still just like the, the vast majority of, of me is like, we all need this. This needs to be mutual aid. This needs to be common knowledge common practice you shouldn't need to hire and pay a stranger to love you through your rites of passages through your pregnancy releases through your fertility experiences and certainly not based on a certification training that they have like right that's 
you know, maybe you meet the stranger who is your perfect support person, but it shouldn't be because of a piece of paper. Um, I would love to hear, I love that, you know, you have lots of different ways that you educate and work, but these skill shares that you mm -hmm. And could you just tell us like, what was the first? Start with your first baby skill share. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I'll just name the lineage of the ovulation awareness zine which right. is now an ebook free download uh, as well as a printable PDF. Both of those are free on my website for anybody who wants to go see my little ovulation awareness booklet, which will walk you through the three primary fertility signals um, and how to use them for contraception. Um, not as a training, <laughs> but as an info session, right? Skillshare. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> but I learned how to tell when I ovulate from a book called The Garden of Fertility, which was, was by Katie Singer. And it was on the shelf at a farm where I was doing an internship and studying permaculture and organic gardening and sustainable forestry. And so I learned how to tell when I ovulate in this context of permaculture and with this deep indoctrination of the permaculture principles, the first of which being you observe before you interact mm -hmm. and that we use the cycles of nature as teachers. And so I looked at my fertility as a part of these natural cycles um, and I had a history of political activism and uh, got really involved around the WTO protest times and the FTAA and I was a radical cheerleader and um, which is a fun Google anybody wants to look at some radical cheerleaders at protests. Um, and I was into some pretty punky anarchist activist scenes where zine culture yeah. was really um, was really hot. So I made an ovulation awareness zine. And I don't actually remember whose idea it was. And I feel like I don't take ownership of this idea that we sat in a circle and we read the zine. Wow. And that became a workshop or a Skillshare that I used to do pretty regularly when I first lived in Portland. Oregon. So that's really the first Skillshare, I think, was just like sitting around reading this punk ovulation zine that I made and then having a discussion around it. Um, and then, I don't know, so much of so much of what I have taught over the years, um, you know, I feel like the entirety of my 20s, I really was just answering people's questions and needs. I was functioning fully responsively of like, someone needed to learn about this. And I noticed that there was enough people. So I would study it and then offer a class on it. <laughs> um, nice. But the womb sovereignty Skillshare, when I think the first time I started using the term Skillshare was for the womb sovereignty Skillshare, which uh, was birthed out of immense trauma in my life. Oh. The year of my divorce, the death of two of my grandmothers, the death of my midwifery mentor, Bernadette, who I just mentioned, car wreck, wallet wall stolen, all of this craziness. But uh, the year Trump was put in office, right? So people, I got a barrage of text messages when Trump was put in office. 
like the day of, they were like, Sam, you need to come teach us how to do home abortions. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I'd rather teach you first how to tell when you ovulate. <laughs> <laughs> because we need to start there. That's yeah. like, actually, that's the root <laughs> issue here. Um, but I put together a curriculum that was a combination of various classes that I had taught in the past um, and what felt safe in terms of not teaching home abortion, yeah. but teaching ovulation awareness, fertility awareness practices, uh, how to work with plants to promote your menses and how to use menstrual extraction, uh, which might be new to some of your listeners because it's one of the more underground radical practices that I have done and taught and shared with folks. Um, and I would refer them to both the Wikipedia article. There is a Wikipedia article on it. It's good. Uh, and to the book, A New View of a Woman's Body um, from the Federation of Women's Health Centers to learn more about that. So um, yeah, the first womb sovereignty skill shares were weekend intensive workshops that I offered in people's living rooms. Um, I started in San Diego and I ended up in Montreal, Canada. And I didn't have a home at the time with my divorce. Um, And so I just moved into my van and I traveled and taught these workshops every weekend uh, for three and a half months. Wow. And then, yeah, so I have um, the conscious contraception Skillshare, which is now online, yeah. was born from the womb sovereignty Skillshare um, and tried, like, how do I adapt this for the internet for strangers, essentially? And it just, it keeps evolving. That's something I really love about your work too, like the constant, um, well, there's, I love the simplicity of it. I love the the Skillshare aspect of it. It's not, you know, external authority. You don't have to like own this information. It's, and this is, isn't this so amazing? Like you don't own it. You don't make claims to own it. You're not like waving a flag. I'm going to save you. And yet there's so much authority in what you're sharing in the, in the positive sense, like in my internal authority. Yeah. I know how to tell when I ovulate and I know how to use plant medicines to induce menstruation. And like, yeah, if you want to learn to, I'll let you know what I know and how I've learned it. But it's, yeah, it's not a training and it's not a course. Even I kind of, it's difficult to, to get away from using that word course, but that, yeah, I did. I chose the language Skillshare very, very specifically to be like, hey, these are skills. These are tools that I have in my basket that I'm wanting to share with you. I'm not at all wanting to train you in a particular methodology or teach you something. Like here, take what you will of these skills. It makes perfect sense in my Mm -hmm. mind that permaculture is a part of your Mm. field of interest and area of study. And in particular, like as you're talking through the ways that you've compiled information. And this is something that I got from the miscarriage and abortion course, like ways to work with plants and, Mm. and this, this teaching that I gleaned from Ayurveda, which is Mm. that the plants serve to remind us what we already know. Mm. Mm -hmm. We 
being in right relationship with the plant requires mm -hmm. being in right relationship with yourself first. Right, right, right. It's what mm -hmm. I hear you saying about all of it. Like if you're in tune with your own inner authority, then you don't have to have authority over other people. You don't have to exert power over. Mm. And there's so much healing just implicit in this, like this conversation between you and I, like it's the medicine is there. It's readily available. It's our relationship to, to self, to the soul. Maybe it's mm. else, but Oh, gosh, I like that you're using this term relationship and it it's really interesting when it comes to the realm like it's it's really interesting because very seldom I, I would say do my ethics and the law beautifully align. Yeah, however, <laughs> when it comes to talking about plant medicine or menstrual extraction or anybody choosing to end a pregnancy outside of a clinical model. There are many, many different applications, but there's this um, reality that I've stuck to throughout my years of practice and skills and how I share them is like, I will support you. I will not do anything to you mm. and I will not do anything for you, mm -hmm. but I will support you as best I can having the resources to take care of yourself best way that you know how. And I feel like that in addition to, you know, being somewhat of a cover for not practicing medicine without a license, cause I'm not giving any diagnoses or protocols ever, ever. Yeah. That it's also how plants do it. I'm like me and the plants, we will support you. We will support you, but we're not gonna do it to you or for you if you want to work with us as allies. Ugh we can show up and support your own innate power, your own innate wisdom and healing, yeah. but you have to take responsibility for this process. It's not a process that I'm going to direct or execute for you. And if you're not participating, I could actually do more harm. Totally. Yes. A hundred percent. Yep. And it's about, yeah, it's about that relationship that ability to trust and be intimate, which you absolutely, to, to be working in a good way with plant medicine, to be intimate with yourself and trust your body. And then to even, you know, to, to branch out just for the sake of doing so, like to also have that sense of inner authority of like, okay, this is past the point. Like I actually, mm. Need stronger hands. It's the the yes. What is it? The wise woman tradition by Susan Weed. Oh, I love it. Yes, you know, mm -hmm. the progression. Do nothing. Mm -hmm. Or there's like mm -hmm. these ways that you can participate mm -hmm. and engage. And sometimes it's too far gone because you haven't right. been participating and engaged. And that leads my brain back to the conversation about tracking ovulation. Oh yes. I don't know if we did that justice, but yeah. So I do want to bring up um, specifically just a couple of things to make sure mm -hmm. we talk about them. And when I reached out to you, I was super interested in talking about um, your miscarriage course, miscarriage and abortion care. Yeah. And, and I do feel like we've touched on this in a way that feels good. You responded to me with something that was like, this is important. 
like pregnancy release is something that our bodies do. Yeah. And to be again, coming from Ayurveda, there's, there's a sense like there is a soul who's choosing mm. to received. Yes. As much as we are participating in the sex act or, you know, whatever, like there's mm-hmm. a dynamic happening here. And so sometimes that soul will choose not to stay. Mm-hmm. And there's something in this conversation that I find very rich and potent, like to, to release a pregnancy is highly intelligent. Mm. is not to undermine the grief and overwhelm that also often come along with it, but would you just flesh this out? Like that pregnancy loss is something that our bodies do. Oh, yes. Um, just speaking to the, the paradox of the sacred and the mundane is at the, the top of my head here. And the, these two realities that are not at all conflicting in my mind. Um, one being that pregnancy release, whether by intent or happenstance, whether it's your conscious will or it's genetics or whatever random chromosomal health issue causes a pregnancy release, or if it's your psyche and specific tools of intervention that create a pregnancy release, that that it is physiologically normal, mm-hmm. that the equivalent happens on in every other type of species and life form within nature, within the cycles of birth, death, rebirth, uh, reproduction will be halted or ended at various stages before it is complete. And that this is a normal, natural part of, of life mm-hmm. is that not everything is supposed to be grown to its full capacity and birthed and that our, yeah, our uteruses do way more bleeding than birthing in their lifetimes and that they're built for releasing. They know how to hold and release. We can support that process and respect it and encourage it at different times, but that there is an innate wisdom and capacity of the uterus to hold and release a pregnancy and that the actual tissue or the nerves or the, the, uh, the entity that, that is the uterus is part of nature in this way that is not carrying the stigma of our socialization, that is not carrying the stigma of this was a baby. Right. And that the uterus just really knows how to release whatever it's holding and knows how to do it efficiently and then heal and regenerate and start over again. And that that, that's an innate inherent quality of the uterus. So I guess that's on one level of like physical, practical reality to, to make sure that people understand that it is not an exaggeration to say that probably about half of all conceptions do not end in babies. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really strange, I think, and very much connected to capitalism and patriarchy and productive, like materialistic modes that we think that we are entitled to a baby. 
if we have a uterus also on one hand and then also just that like a pregnancy equals a baby that, that that's just not true and it's even, just not physiologically true well and even that like if there's a if there's a loss that you've done something wrong totally yeah like this is obviously a demonstration of your deficiency right right yeah and it's just and so there's the the levels that i work at that i try and teach in that course in the miscarriage and abortion support course that you took um which i've taught live four times as a weekend workshop um, and I hope that I convey well enough in the digital realm is um, the importance of becoming clear about the physiology as a foundation so that we can answer the how and the why of the, the actual physical body. And then we, we have that as a support structure so that individuals can explore their own psycho-spiritual or emotional process, which is going to be completely unique and based on all sorts of different aspects of their belief systems and their values and their situation. And that as care providers, we need to have an objective understanding of the physiology that we like, whether or not you are quote unquote pro-choice, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. that as birth keepers and as people who tend to the womb, as doulas, as midwives, as healthcare providers, we are, vastly lacking in that objective understanding of the physiologic process of pregnancy release via miscarriage and abortion and their similarities. Mm -hmm. like, it really blows my mind how deeply the stigma has dis and misinformed care providers from having this objective understanding of the physiology, which I think should be a, a basic foundational requirement yeah, that we understand the physiology and that we're able to relieve pain and prevent suffering because we can do that with an objective understanding of the physiology. We can relieve physical pain and we can prevent physical suffering when we understand what's going on. And then that being that basis upon which we can build spaciousness for inquiry around a psycho-spiritual process, which is going to be a process of reflective witnessing and support for the individual and how important it is that we don't make assumptions about what that individual feels or believes about their pregnancy. Um, mm -hmm. So I'll take a pause there, but that was mostly around physiology and like, yeah, it's normal. Your uterus yeah. knows how to do it. And yes, we can use tools and substances from the modern medical industry to support or, um, or enact the release either way, but that we need to be doing so in a way that respects the fact that our uterus inherently innately knows how to do this. And we're, we're showing up with support not to, to fix or do unto. Yeah. You, um, so you have a new baby hot off the press called mm. Bleed. Mm -hmm. As I was going through it, I just sort of paused 
at a point when you make the distinction between implantation and conception, which I get like, mm, yeah, but I would love, I want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about this project, this creation. And if that is like an interesting place for you to start, or if that's something you want to Sure. Think. Yeah. That's so important. I mean, literally yesterday I got an email from mutual acquaintance who was like, Oh, I'm really interested in um, reading your abortion story um, that I'd shared with one of my mentees and it's up on my Patreon, um, which is a, a journal entry, um, piece of creative writing. It's very poetic. Um, it's, it's based on journal entries and have, has been developed further um, from the first time that I think I conceived. And it's called Condom Fairy Mischief. <laughs> I, I challenged myself as I was rewriting it to, um, to write erotica because the lovemaking experience where I conceived was a very profound and specific experience I wanted to try and explain. Um, but yeah, that story that is told in Condom Fairy Mischief, which folks can access on my Patreon. Yes. And I'm happy to just send to you as a, as a gift, um, is the story of a conception and me using plants in my understanding to inhibit implantation, um, which is not something that I personally think of as an abortion. I don't feel like I had an herbal abortion. I feel like I used plants to inhibit implantation. So all that being said, uh, just to be really clear on the physiology aspect of it, um, divorced from religious beliefs or how you may or may not experience or believe that a spirit inhabits flesh, right? Mm -hmm. Or that the spirit is inhabiting multiplying cells or not, which is a very interesting conversation I would love to talk about in a moment, maybe a little bit. Um, but yeah, when we conceive, when the sperm meets the egg, happens in the egg tube, there's a flash of light. And from that point forward, there is a zygote, which will take about three to six days to make it down the egg tube into the womb, right? So that's not a pregnancy. Right. That's a conception. Yeah. Right? And so if you are aware of your fertility, if you're aware of when you ovulate and when your fertile window is, you can be aware of a potential conception a good amount of time before an actual pregnancy occurs. And that in our culture, we have this like emergent sense around an unplanned or unwanted pregnancy as if, oh no, you got sperm in you and then you got pregnant like immediately. Right. And that's just not physiologically true. So we have a conception, it, come, it turns into what is you know, say, you know, clinically called a zygote. It travels in this beautiful centrifugal force down the egg tube real slowly until it ends up in the uterus somewhere between three and six days after the conception, it makes it to the uterus. And then what happens once it's there is really dependent upon how thick the endometrium is, the substance, the tissue 
that builds up that we would slough off with menstruation, um, which is specifically dependent upon progesterone levels. There are other things too, but the hormone of progesterone, progestation hormone nice. is necessary for the endometrium to be spongy and thick and gooey enough for that uh, to become in, enveloped in the endometrium. And then it still has to wiggle its way through the endometrium to what is called the myometrium, which is the actual muscle of the uterus, right? So the endometrium is like the gooey soft nest that we would shed. And that does support a, a, an embryo potentially. Um, but it has to not just have enough progesterone for the endometrium to be thick enough, but it has to make its way all the way to the myometrium and then eventually connect to the maternal blood network mm -hmm. through the myometrium. And that is the moment that is called implantation, which is when I consider a pregnancy to have been established. So that is on average between one and two weeks after conception. So there is a distinct difference between conception and implantation or conception and a pregnancy and in between those two things, if you do not wish to be pregnant, I call that the golden window. <laughs> that there is this golden window of time where we can use plants and practical magic to manifest our intention to menstruate rather than gestate. And there are really practical grounded ways to go about doing that, which I talk about in my book, Please Bleed. Please Bleed, great. Plants I, and Practical Magic. <laughs> Sam, yeah. I, love, I, I love the clarity with which you speak to all of this and it enables in me mm. a sense of um, not only like competency, mm. Mm -hmm. I'll, you know, this isn't, this isn't like medical school level, like, you know, it's not beyond me. You don't need a medical degree. <laughs> but, and, and arguably like, well, we don't have to go there. That's a whole other yeah. cast of talking about the patriarchy and the medical system, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's involved it runs yeah. through all of this, but what mm -hmm. I, what I love and what I encourage people to, you know, immediately go and seek out an experience for themselves mm. is the clarity with which you present this information, mm. potency of the gathering of information, particularly, and maybe this is where we'll, we'll end because it's, mm. yeah, we're at time. Yeah. The sense of like, what I feel has been the, the golden thread through our conversation. This is not an external authority. This is not something mm. you're going to read and therefore like suddenly be empowered. Like the power is there. Mm -hmm. Information is in support of your innate knowing. And so are mm. the plans. Mm -hmm. And the more you are in right relationship with yourself, the more potent this relationship to a care provider, a plant, a lover, a pregnancy mm -hmm. become. Mm -hmm. 
Like you are such a gift. You are such a gift. Thank you, Stacey. So grateful to have had some time with you. And I hope after my baby comes and I'm (laughs) I'm creating again. um, You start cycling. Yeah. Yeah. I get to I get to cycle. I get to come into my body in a wholly new way. And I would just love to talk to you again. Oh, thank you so much for the space. I know that perhaps there were bullet points that we didn't hit on the list, but I I trust that it was rich and will offer folks a good thread. And I guess the other thing that I just want to articulate is in addition to what you just shared in terms of the thread that's running through the conversation and my work, which is like, yeah, it's about agency and sovereignty and inner authority, um, specifically in the way that I want us to feel that we are our sexuality and our fertility rather than our sexuality and our fertility are something that happen to us or that we endure them and that that happens in every single stage, whether it be your ovulation or your orgasm or your pregnancy release, that actually identifying with and owning our bodies and knowing that we are these processes, we are this power rather than we are at the subject of enduring and dealing with and managing this power that this is literally, this is essentially who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that you're, that you're a sex therapist and I could also do an entire other podcast conversation, just literally like the, the commonalities between menstruation, ovulation, orgasm and birth, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, the thread here on the whole continuum, I use the term womb continuum, that it's just like, the skill sets we need to develop for self-awareness and self-actualization, the threads are, they're so congruent and together and not separate and compartmentalized the way that our culture compartmentalizes and fragments our sexuality and our fertility and what we are like in our sexual experiences and what we're like in our birth experiences and that they just all inform one another. Yeah. Thanks for being curious. Thanks for caring. Thanks for being able to receive my light. Uh, I always say there's, there's really true. There's no light without reflection. So it's incredibly valuable to, to have the reflection of your witnessing and care and yeah. Blessings on your birthing. I didn't know you were making another person. Yeah. I'm 36 weeks pregnant as we speak. (sighs) And um, it is, yeah yeah this this conversation came at a really perfect time for me and Mm. I will say at least one more time (laughs) I'm really grateful for how you move through the world what you're adding to the world um, and the opportunity to reflect back to you just to be in this conversation um is so uh enlivening (laughs) just like life giving to me so 
Thank you, Sam. And please just last thing, tell people where to find you and what you want them to know right now. <laughs> I want, I want people to join my Patreon community. Cool. It's like the, the digital uh, campfire. Nice. And um, really for a really low tier, you can have access to a lot of my works in progress. And so that's just patreon.com backslash Samantha Zipporah. And you can actually access all of my coursework and all of my books through Patreon at various tiers, nice. as well as one-on-one -on -one sessions and the group Ask Me Anything sessions. Um, but if you just wanna cruise around and see my more professional face, please go to my website, which is my name, samanthazapora.com. Um, and from there, you can just read about the books and the courses and my offerings and my, my history and the lineage that I come from. I'm really generous with my philosophy and my story that I share um, on the website too. So just witnessing that might be helpful for people, whether or not they're ready to to opt in, to join a community um, or give or receive support, which is what Patreon's all about is really that mutuality of like, hey, we're in this together. Let's do this together. Yeah. Thank you. I'm really yeah. to, um, speaking to you again and getting feedback on this conversation. I think it was so rich. Awesome. Yeah, I'm curious. What I'm always like, what the hell just happened? What's yeah. that? <laughs> I think it was pretty great too thank you so much Stacy. until the future thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the sacred body podcast I wanted to take a moment to direct your attention to a few online classes that I've created and made available for you the first being sacred ground Physical and Grief Healing for Pregnancy Loss and Abortion. This five-part course is available to anyone who is either experiencing the postpartum experience unique to miscarriage and or abortion. And this program is really designed to give you not only tools for tending to this often invisible experience of the postpartum, but the unique nature of coming back into your body with reverence and trust. The other course is called Sex and Motherhood, and this course is a recording of a live course that I led and is an opportunity for mothers to more than reclaim their sense of sexual vitality but to come to a point of understanding, honoring, trusting, and expressing their newfound experience of sexuality and vitality. Motherhood is a massive transformation, and for us to expect that we would ever be the same afterwards is unrealistic and oftentimes painful. It is my hope that these two courses offer you some solace, offer you some encouragement, and offer you a real sense of the fact that you are intact, you are whole, and you are sacred. See the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
If you like this episode, please leave a comment, please share through all your channels, and you also have the opportunity to make a donation to ensure that these amazing conversations continue with ease. I appreciate you being here. I'm curious to hear how this conversation has impacted you, and I hope that you'll join us again.